listening to On The Road, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. Here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. On The Road is brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Welcome to show number 169. I have been busy over the weekend. We went to the Goulburn Convoy for Kids and we did our Saturday night live show from Goulburn. You can see that back in the feed and have a listen to what happened there if you want. We had a great weekend, hundreds of trucks, lots and lots of people, lots and lots of kids. It was an awesome weekend and uh, we thank very much the team from uh, Goulburn Convoy for Kids for inviting us down there. And we thank very much the guys from Rams FM for letting us invade their studio and take it over on uh, Saturday night. We had a lot of fun. I had a few prawn cutlets and stuff like that. It was a great time. Yogi Craig and I, our partners, Colette, Amanda and Rose, had a wonderful time down there as guests of the convoy. What can we say? All in a great cause. $8,500 for the lead truck. Not as big as some convoys, but it's a small country town, Goulburn, and the, the transport industry coming out to support that and the fare that was put on. You've only got to just congratulate the guys that were doing it. Some great stories from out there. You know, we look forward to doing it again down the track. This weekend coming up, Rose and I are going to be up at the Ballinger Show at Bathurst. We'll be there with some truck and life merch and, and that sort of thing. And once again, we'll have the radio going up there for everyone to listen to. Look forward to meeting you all and seeing you up there. If you feel like a drop round to our tent and, and say g'day, issue one and issue two of the magazine on sale, T-shirts, hats, all of the merch that you can get in the in the merch store there, stubby coolers and things like that. So we look forward to seeing you for that one. We've got a lot of things going on over the next several weeks. We'd like to sort of announce that uh, Paul Biagini, the guy who's been doing the news last week and this week with Andy, will be joining the team on a part-time basis to help us out with a few things. I'm very pleased to announce that. Paul's a great guy and he fits in well with what we're doing. We like him a lot. You'll be able to hear him on the road radio station. So just on that one, get onto the app. Go to Australian On The Road Radio and download the app. Listen to us on that one. We've got news on the hour. We've got uh, music. We do some requests. We've got our live shows that we do that you can phone in on. All that sort of thing happening on there. We're looking for more live shows, more live content. So if you're out there and you'd like to have a crack, uh, do a live show, get on to us and we can help you with that. If you've got the talent, you've got the skill and you want to have a crack, let's have a, have a look at it. Um, obviously, we're also interested in getting some people to sponsor those shows to help create that content. So if you're into that and you, you want to help us out with that, please feel free to email me, uh, editor at truckandlife.net.au or mikeandontheroadpodcast.com.au or ring me up 0418722488. Advertising space is also available in the magazine. We've got some interviews coming up with Queensland Rail very, very shortly. Looking forward to doing a few of those and getting those underway. A lot of things going forward that we're, we're getting into. 
You'll just have to stay tuned, but we've got some really great projects underway. We're going to get on with the show now. So we've, we've got Katie Brook w- with Andy for a, the music interview. We've got a couple of her tracks. As I said, Andy and Paul with the news. Bob McMillan in with something to talk about. He gets stuck into the drug thing um, that he was into last week. You have to wonder what lunacy is allowing the ACT government to decriminalise hard drugs. It's just, I mean, I don't care what you put in the body. But don't drive, and it just seems to me that uh, they're opening the door there in the ACT to some very, very nasty things. Anyway, that's enough out of me. I've got a lot of stuff to do. Here's the show. Catch you later. Let's get this show on the road. Yes, get on with it. On the Road News is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. On the road news time and once again we're joined by trucker, writer, broadcaster and classic automotive machinery aficionado Paul Biagini. How's that mate? Oh, that's quite a quite an introduction. Good morning young Andy, how are you today? Doing all right buddy, thank you for joining us again. You were sharing some photos with me yesterday of your baby, and we're not talking small human kind of baby, but your gorgeous classic American automobile. Can you describe for our listeners what I'm talking about here? My beloved 1955 Oldsmobile, yes, indeed. It's a four-door hardtop Oldsmobile. It is a 98 series holiday, which I picked up at a dealer in Colorado in the States years and years ago, buying a couple of older mid-50s American cars. Hmm. A good friend of mine and I were in Denver and we saw the old that was up the back of a, a Chevrolet dealership, just had been traded in by the elderly gentleman. Yeah. We took it for a test drive, fell in love with it, bought it, popped it in a container, as you used to do, and uh, shipped it back home. And it's been my four-wheel love ever since, yeah. Absolutely loving my car. Put smiles on my face. Yeah, she's a darling. She's a beauty, mate. How did you first get into the classic car hot rodding scene? My dad was always a car guy, so he was a long-distance owner-driver his whole working life. Yeah. But again, as so many truck enthusiasts, we share that love for anything with an engine, trucks, tractors, plane. I know anything with an internal combustion engine always piques my interest, as your Triumph does. Yeah. Dad always had cool old cars, you know, custom lines. Uh, he had a couple of early Ford Mercury's. Right. He was a Ford guy, so always had beautiful fair lanes, F100s. Yeah. Yeah, he used to run the spats and the big antennas and the, and the Fox sails, and he was just always a car guy. Yeah. He had a pivotal moment one night in the valley in Brisbane. <laughs> a lot of people did, mate, but yeah. <laughs> not to do with cars necessarily. <laughs> Mine was to do with cars and nothing else, actually, and... I was walking up Ann Street late one night with a bunch of mates and I heard this beautiful rumbling of what ended up being a Y-block Ford V8 coming up from Eagle Farm up that hill up through Ann Street. Mm. And it was a red 1949 Mercury with the chop top. And it was a left-hand drive car, which was really rare back in those days, as opposed to today where you... are allowed to. Yeah, over 30 years old, you can register them and drive them. Mm. And this Mercury come up the entry, and not all that fast, but loud, and the old V8 was echoing off the walls of the nightclubs, and the dude went past, and all I could see was the left arm, tattooed arm, hanging out the door. And that we know, yeah. And slick back hair, you know, and I, and I watched him go past, and I... 
it changed me. I just went, man, I want to be that dude. That's it. And I've, I've been kind of that dude ever since, really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated with 1950s culture and that American car culture that revolves around that post-war, you know, 1950s hot rod era, the music, the cars. It does hold a very special place in my heart, yeah. 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 So what would be your dream car if you could get hold of one, or have you already got it? It's really my car, in fact. Oh, there you go. There are some performance mods I would like to do to the engine some days, and the time will come where I'll do those those mods. But mm. I've done lots of improvements to the car over the years, and um, it'll turn down the highway. It's like sitting in a lounge chair to drive. Absolutely, absolutely love it. Yeah. It's just a beautiful car. Mm. You sound so much like a mate of mine. He's been a car fanatic all his life, and he's got at least half a dozen classic cars and hot rods in his shed in varying states of completedness, shall we say. <laughs> some of them are show-winning beauties, all polished within an inch of their lives. Some are half-built, some just a pile of parts, panels, and chassis waiting to be pieced together. Mm. A couple of years ago, though, he met a woman who knocked him off his feet and they got married, which kind of changed everything for him. Mm. And up to a point, she understood his need to spend a lot of time in his workshop tinkering with his toys, as she called them. But eventually her patience came to an end and she said to him one day, you know, you could try spending a bit more time with me instead of those cars. Why don't you sell some of them? Ooh. He looked at her with a horrified look on his face and said, you're starting to sound like my ex-wife. Ex-wife. She screamed out, you never told me you'd been married before? He said, I haven't. I have not. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We better get on with the news, mate. Yeah, we've got a bit to uncover this week, actually. Yeah, We do, indeed. First up, news we're not going to be talking about this week, Volvo making the longest ever electric truck journey. Won't talk about that. Cummins saying that they're looking at multiple technologies to achieve net zero emissions while still thankfully declaring that diesel is not dead. Mm. Uh, not going to talk about ManScania and international all-testing possible hydrogen technology. Yeah. Uh, we won't be talking about regular freight routes across the Northern Territory being closed due to bushfires half the size of Tasmania with calls for a national interstate freight route alert system to be put into place. Mm. And we won't be talking about Teletrack Navman asking us all if we're going to be ready for the shutdown of the 3G network in June next year. I did not even know that was a thing, but let's not talk about it anyway. Right now, here's this week's news we will be talking about. Paul, due to a possible software issue with the engine control module in their X15E5 engines being built between 2018 and 2021... Cummins have issued a recall notice, although they're assured us that there are no safety issues and the defect will not affect the truck's performance. 8,262 affected units. That is a lot of engines. Is that (laughs) affected or infected? Well, this is the thing with software, isn't it? Mm. Interesting Cummins. They actually haven't come out publicly and said anything about all the uh, drop liners and the drop valves that those X-15s are detonating left, right and centre, but that's another subject for another day. But, yeah, a lot of engines. I do feel a bit of empathy for Cummins. You know, in the mid-'90s in Kenworth, Western Star and some Mac, you had the choice to tick three boxes when you built a truck. It was Cummins, Detroit or Caterpillar, Mm. and now uh, here we are in 2023, Caterpillar no longer build truck engines, have not for quite some time, Mm. and sadly, uh, Detroit, you basically only purchase a Detroit in a Western Star product, so as a company, as an engine manufacturer, that has put huge demand on the Cummins product. 
And I do feel for them because they're basically the sole engine supplier in the heavy truck market for Kenworth. Mm. So they've just had to produce engine after engine after engine. And on top of that, every year they have to tighten up with emissions. And that's, let's face it, that's all internal combustion engine manufacturers around the world, whether it be diesel or petrol. Yep. The governments and the regulatory bodies keep saying, choke it, choke it, choke it, make it cleaner, make it cleaner, make it cleaner. So I guess combining all those pressures together in mass production, something's got to give now and then. So let's hope it doesn't cost Cummins too much money and they fix the problem and keep the big red engines up and down the highway. Andy. Absolutely. Mate, an investigation has identified more than 500 fatigue management and other serious breaches with a transport company. The company has pleaded guilty and copped a $65,000 fine, though it could have been worse as the maximum penalty could have been up over half a million bucks. Could have been $574,000. That's a bit of money. Now... I do recall watching a fascinating documentary on a mine down in Tasmania years ago, a copper mine, and, and basically when the copper ran out, the mining company bailed, and the tailings from that mine still leach into the water table and into the local creeks and rivers to this day. Hmm. And the fine that was handed out to that multi-billion dollar mining company was well and truly under sub $100,000. So isn't it fascinating how a mining company can cause irreparable damage to the environment and basically be an environmental disaster and still not get fined or threatened with a fine as much as a trucking company? Mm. So once again, the, the NHVR has come out and dropped these uh, little numbers out, which I always find fascinating. But I wish, Andy, that when they drop these little stories out, I wish they'd be a little bit more clear, some more clarity in the actual fine. So, for example... The breaches include 44 rest work hour offences, mm. 18 critical, 3 severe, 3 substantial and 20 minor. <laughs> now, I would like to know what they actually were. Is this 10 minutes over? Is it 15 minutes over your work time? Is it instead of driving five hours, has one of these drivers driven five hours and 10 minutes? Because all of a sudden, that doesn't seem to be that severe, but they just bracketise it and say, no, this is it. 93 offences for making false or misleading entries in the work diary. Now, once again, what were those entries? Again, were there a misspelling in a town? Was it using a red pen because your blue biro ran out? Mm. They tend to make it sound a lot worse than it can be. Not saying it wasn't because, again, they haven't been clear with the actual charges, and I think that would make things a bit easier. The 406 speeding offences, gee whiz, that's a lot of offences. Yep. It states in the press release that they've downloaded GPS data. Now, those 406 speeding offences are some of those two kilometres an hour, three kilometres an hour over the limit, Andy, because, again, that doesn't really reflect to me a horribly dangerous vehicle on the road. Mm. So it would be nice to have a little bit more clarity, I feel, in those releases so you could actually dig down and really look at what's happened Again, take note, companies, company directors, operations managers, operators, the fines that are getting thrown around or, or the threats of fines being thrown around, is it any wonder people are leaving the transport industry? As Mike would say, they're eye-watering, yes. If they were handed down a $574,000 fine, I would love to know where that money goes. Mm. Because I am a firm believer in education, not persecution, is the answer to the road toll. 
yep. is educating and making drivers better drivers as opposed to letting them get out on the road, then persecuting them and taking money off them. Mm. That half a million dollars, would it be spent on training that company further and bringing in consultants and actually helping them understand the fatigue laws, which are as complex as rocket science? Yeah. Or do they just take the fine, give them the order, and then and then walk off? You know, mm. yeah. Uh, and and Millie agrees. <laughs> nice to hear from Millie. How's she doing? She's doing very well this morning. She's going to the salon this afternoon to uh, have a hoofer cure. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, so she's quite excited. Paul, our old mate and Aussie trucking legend Rod Hannafy has called for an overhaul of state laws that make it so difficult for truckies to retain their MC licences once they turn 70, Hmm. particularly when you consider the current driver shortage in Australia. The drivers get older, the pool of drivers are getting older, and what do the the policy makers do? They make it harder for them to keep a licence. Again, I just don't understand. Everyone wants a safe driver on the road, absolutely, but... They do need just to drill down and have a look at it a bit deeper, Andy, you know. Yep. A lot of these older drivers now, a lot of them will be the fathers of sons that the sons have taken over the business and that the, the father, you know, may just go and unload a, a B-double and reload and bring it back. So not necessarily the 70-year-old or the 75-year-old driver is out there doing 250,000 kilometres a year anymore, but it may be a case of he's out there helping the family business. Mm. It's interesting that a 75-year-old driver can hook up a 12-metre caravan behind his land cruiser and just keep going around and around the country, and I don't think they have to obtain these uh, these older tests. So I think we just need to recognise what these older drivers are doing Hopefully, they're slowing down and doing a little bit less. Mm. But absolutely, they, they need to be able to justify the use of the licence and, and not make it so difficult. The other thing that I want to mention in that with the older drivers and the licences is the emerging and growing club rego scene. I have a, a very dear friend of mine up here in Queensland who is like my surrogate dad, who is 84 years of age and owns a restored Kenworth Prime over that he takes club runs. Mm. And... The Queensland government forcibly took his trailer licence off him altogether. So he cannot even run a HC licence anymore. So he's gone back to HR, which means he can drive the Kenworth Prime Mover only. Now, he's a more than capable driver. Again, find it a little bit frustrating that if he wanted to tow a trailer or a drop deck laptop to a truck show with my Kenworth on the back and both of us driving to a show twice a year, he cannot do that anymore after 50 odd years of fantastic driving record. Yeah. So again, I wish there was a bit more common sense in the licensing system for these older drivers because as more and more of these gentlemen and ladies retire, they're taking up that historical truck scene and, and wanting to go to Alice Springs and all these sort of places and still having to satisfy all these regimes with their license, even though they might only do 2,000 kilometres a year in a hobby truck. Mm. So absolutely, couldn't agree with Rod anymore. He's right in what he's saying. Everyone's getting older. They need to recognise that and work on it to make it a little bit easier. Because let's face it, if a truck driver has made it to 65 years of age and made it there, he's pretty good at what he does, Andy. You'd like to think so. Well, as you said, it's all about common sense, but unfortunately common sense like common courtesy ain't all that common. Particularly when it comes to bureaucrats. (laughs) They do nothing but act to go, do they? (laughs) True enough.
Love this one, mate. In a landmark ruling handed down in Wagga District Court recently, New South Wales police have been ordered to pay nearly $48,000 in legal fees to Main Freight after a bungled investigation following a B-double being pulled over en route from Perth to Sydney had subsequently been stung for alleged loading breaches. Andy, just to clarify, did you say a bungled investigation? I think that's what I said, yeah. Mm, so this goes to show that even the police are human and can make mistakes just like a truck driver can make a mistake in a work diary. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. So, yes, they have been ordered to pay $47,391 in legal fees to Main Freight after a botched, botched investigation. <laughs> and interestingly enough, Main Freight were originally awarded $85,968 in costs, but the amount was almost halved upon a successful appeal by the police with a decision handed down in district court. Hmm. Now, that fascinates me because I'm not sure why the police are even uh, feeling that because it's not their money. Yeah, well, true enough. It's the taxpayers' money, but it's nice to feel that they're kind of trying to look after the taxpayers' money. I'm sure that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if a uh, poor old um, truck driver that was handed down a couple of thousand dollars worth of logbook fines stood in front of the court and said, look, can I appeal to have that cut in half because that is actually my money coming out of the family's budget. Yeah. But that would never happen. Yeah. According to the court documents, the load had moved in transit and was bulging through the curtains of the trailer en route to Perth and leaning out towards the near side of the vehicle. Mm. The measurements, allegedly, the measurements were taken that the load was protruding 750 millimetres over the edge of the trailer. Mm. Now, that is a lot. Yeah, it's a big bulge in anyone's book. That's <laughs> a big bulge in anyone's book. <laughs> so the driver was employed by basically a subcontractor that was working for Main Freight. And the drivers informed police that the truck had been loaded by Main Freight and then basically Main Freight were charged with drive or permit a person to drive a vehicle that does not comply with loading requirement. Section 111-11C of the Heavy Vehicle National Law, 2013, New South Wales. Hmm. And drive or permit a person to drive a vehicle that does not comply with dimension requirements. Now, a couple of fascinating points in this scenario, just, just for everyone to learn something from. That truck was at Mudrabilda in WA, so it had come from Sydney. So it had been on the road for two and a half, I guess, 2,600 kilometres. So a lot can happen in that kilometres with a load shifting. Oh, yeah. In main freight's defence, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to come down to a little bit back down to the drivers here that in the day... If you're in charge of a truck, regardless of who's loaded it or who hasn't loaded it, and your load started shifting, you'd pull up and take notice of that and do something to correct the load. Mm. Now, on the Nullarbor, that's not quite easy, but I'd love to know how long the truck has been travelling with that bulging curtain and how long before the drivers have gone, oh, gee whiz, there's a bit of a trouble there. But the interesting part is the police had amounted 42 photographs, allegedly, of the load, and the magistrate found there was no evidence to satisfy the charges and found there had been a significant failure by the police prosecutors to thoroughly look into how to prove their case to a criminal standard. Mm. And again, we're talking about some doors. So we're talking about a couple of skids or pallets of doors moving against a curtain. Okay, that needs to be attended to on the road, but really, criminal charges? Yeah. New South Wales Police, really? Mm. So it's appealed. Main Freight have got their money back, absolutely. 
I believe they should have got the whole lot back, not half of it. Mm. And I would like to know if those police that put those charges up, have they been cancelled? Like uh, the previous story we spoke about with the breaches, the NHVR went in and put an order on that company to make sure they looked at their operation and made sure they cleaned their act up. I'd like to know if these police had had some kind of order put against them to actually clean their act up to make sure they know what they're talking about. And good on Main Freight for getting the money back. And I think those police have made a bit of a <laughs> go to themselves, Sandy. They get my go to the week award. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, mate, I kept this one to last because we talk a lot, and I mean a lot, about rest areas on this show. And at the latest Albanese Government Heavy Vehicle Rest Area Steering Committee meeting, just nine rest area proposals were put forward by state and local governments for funding assessment. I think you might have an opinion on that. I have just had a gutful of this conversation. <laughs> As we all have, Yeah, I am just sick to death of it. I am tired of the tri level of government, and I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs, but I'm actually trying to catch up a couple of my local federal members here in the Lockyer Valley to sit down for a lunch one day and explain to me in detail the funding between local, state, and federal. Yep. But I know as a hardworking Australian and as a taxpayer, I am sick to death of hearing, oh, no, it's a state problem, it's a local problem, it's a federal problem. Mm. Andy, the road toll is a national problem. It's got nothing to do with state, federal, local. When someone passes away from an accident, whether it's fatigue, bad road, mechanical failure, we lose someone on the road. That's a problem for the country, not for the state that they're in. A bit like when we sent men away to the war. So I'm tired of it. We need more rest areas, and so many hard-working people have gone to the government and put this to them, including our own Craig. We all know we need more rest areas. Mm. It just drives me insane. And this isn't only for truck drivers. The transport industry needs more, but it's also for the travelling public, the grey nomads. There's more and more and more of these people on the road and they're combining with the trucks to find somewhere to stop. Yep. Let me put a couple of scenarios with you. So, And, and I'm going to talk about my own little area in, in the corner here. So mm-hmm. from the top of the Toowoomba Range to the port of Brisbane, so coming inbound with a, with a road train, an alphabet road train load of grain or a B-double, and you're coming in into delivery in the port of Brisbane, it's 158 kilometres from the top of the Toowoomba Range to the Port of Brisbane. Yep. That's easily a two-and-a-half-hour drive for a load of truck. That's without getting caught up in the chaos that is the Logan Motorway or the Gateway Arterial. Hmm. So that two-and-a-half hours can easily turn into three, three-and-a-half. Now, let me ask you, if you're on a two-and-a-half-hour flight in a plane and you land and you step off the plane into the terminal... How many people, the first thing they do is go to the restroom because they've been sitting? Oh, I'd say the vast majority of, yep. The vast majority. It is a basic human necessity. Now, if you're in an alphabet road train coming inbound from Toowoomba to the Port of Brisbane, there is nowhere in that 158-kilometre stretch that you can safely and securely pull off the road on the left-hand side inbound and go to the toilet. Mm. Nowhere. It is an utter disgrace. 
And that is just that one stretch of 158 kilometres. Multiply that across the whole country, Andy. I myself, 25 years on the highway, and again, let's talk about the ugly truths here. If I had a silver dollar for every time I took a number one or a number two under a trailer on the side of the road in my career, I'd be a multimillionaire. Mm. People might not want to hear about this, the general public, and might not want to talk about it, but this is the reality. It's interesting that, for example, on the Gatton pads, which were the original way pads, when it was just basically a rest area for trucks and an occasional way pad, there was no toilets, nothing there. So again, poor old driver would pull up there outbound or inbound and have to do a number one or a number two if they were busting under the trailer on the side of the road. Hmm. Now it's interesting that it's been turned into a quite an occasional way pad set up for the NHVR. And guess what? Now there's a picnic table there and an office and a toilet. Hmm. So the NHVR and these regulators and these politicians, the signal that sends to me is they believe those inspectors are a higher regarded human being than a truck driver. Because at that very same facility, that truck driver has no chance of relieving him or herself except beside the trailer or under the trailer. But then as soon as NHVR inspectors get to use it, they get to use a portal Yeah. Another perfect example of that is the Dinmore pads currently coming out of Ipswich on the Warrego Highway. There's a large obstruction there at the moment. There's something wrong with the Bremer River Bridge. Mm. The bridge is failing in some way. I've been trying with Queensland Transport for weeks to actually get the facts on what's wrong with the bridge just out of fascination. No one will give me a straight answer. Yeah. Now, when the Dinmore pads was just, again, an occasional place for Transport Department to set up, there was nothing there again. A driver would pull up, have to relieve him or herself on the side of the road, in the bushes, under the trailers. Now that the NHVR inspectors are there 24-7 because they have to pull up and check the oversize and overdimensional loads, which is okay, that's fine. Suddenly, Andy, there's portalers set up there. Yep. It's just ridiculous. What needs to happen is the federal government needs to just step in and start building the damn rest areas. Mm. Another thing that fascinates me in this country, and I've seen it happen in my 25 years on the highway, We'll bypass a piece of road here in Australia, like a piece of highway. So we'll cut out a corner. That's great. Fantastic. In America, and I've traveled like about 30 of the states on the western half of America, when they do that over there, the old piece of highway, they turn it into a rest area because it's already asphalt or concrete. It's already there. So they'll put up a sign, exit, rest area, and then back onto the highway. No, no, not here in Australia. When we do that, we dig it up and get rid of it. Yep. I don't know the reason for that. I find it obscene that we do it. But heaven forbid someone might go in there and stub their toe on an old guidepost or something like that. Mm. The days where the powers that be, the regulators, are all about efficiency and you know allowing operators to pay extra money for a permit to keep clicking on trailers onto the back of trucks, that's fine. I don't necessarily agree with that. That's my own story, but it's going to continue to happen. And yet the rest areas are still set up a little dirt pad for a single truck and trailer. Mm. It is just not good enough. The other thing I want to bring up with this is the industry and the industry bodies and all all the big top echelon are calling for more women in the industry. We want to attract more women drivers into the industry because of the shortage of talented drivers. Okay. I'm not going to say the majority, but my darling wife brought this up this morning. So I'm going to credit my lovely Amanda for this. She said to me, you know, so many of her lady friends in her age group, which is mid-40s and above, 
have talked about going into driving to go and get their license and become a driver and, you know, possibly just short haul or long distance or interstate, whatever. Now, Andy, most of these ladies have lived their life, they've given birth to children, they've reared children, and there's no way in the world those ladies can go more than one, two hours without a peep. <laughs> so it's bad enough that a male has to pull up on the side of the road and relieve himself under a trailer or beside a trailer. Where the hell do these policymakers expect women to go? Mm. It's okay for them. They can say, oh, you need to use a private facility like a roadhouse. That's all great until you've got two trailers swinging off the back of your prime mover and you can't get in or out of half these places. Or if you can get in, the drama then is getting back out on the road because there's no slip lanes provided. Yeah. So it's a problem that's just getting worse and worse and worse. Another perfect example is the Gatton road train pads that the government built out here. Mm. They built one on one side of the highway, which is utter insanity. There should have been one built either side of the highway. Again, a driver comes in from Roma, Moree. He or she has been in the saddle for four hours, coming into Brisbane to do the road train split up, comes to the Gatton pads, stop the truck. What's the first thing you need to do? Hmm. There was no toilets there, nothing. I can't remember the gentleman's name and I feel bad because he's a legend. There was a local, a Gatton local that was petitioning. Damn, mate, where's... Yeah, sitting out there petitioning for toilets to be put in there. Yeah. It is utter madness, and if you haven't picked up on it, it gets me cranky as a buggery. Yeah. They drum fatigue down the transport industry's throats. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure you've seen it. We've seen it. Some of these ludicrous ideas of booking parking spots. Mm. Remember that came out a couple of years ago, some genius said, you'll be able to get an app on your phone and book a parking spot. Come on, people. Who comes up with these ideas, Andy? No, I don't know. <laughs> so once again, there's only one thing I can say to that. Build the damn rest areas, build plenty of them, make it safer because all you guys are just making one thing of yourselves. <laughs> so you're acting the goat, the whole lot of you. Yeah. Well, it's coming on three years now. We've been telling the same story over and over on this podcast, but we best move on. Quickly before we go, breaking news. Now, you presented me with a nice little clip of, a, I think, a 1950s news theme. I'll quickly play that here. Now, that sounds more like a skit out of Monty Python to me, but anyway. You've got something that's up your nose, so tell us about it. Do it briefly, because we're out of time. Look, breaking news, I'm sure most of us know it, but the Federal Reserve Bank has put interest rates up again, another quarter of a basis percent, as if we weren't hurting enough. So it has gone to 4.35%. And of course, surprise, surprise, Andy, the big four have gone in behind them and put their interest rates up. Mm. So I'd like to thank the CBA for putting my mortgage up every week. It's just another few dollars I have to find. Well done. Yeah. Absolute madness. Well, mate, thought for the week just for you. It's from a bloke called Fred Offenhauser. He said, street machines have a Chevy in the front and a big can of polish in the back. Hot rods have a flathead in the front and a big box of tools in the back. That's exactly right. You'd probably relate to that. That's the father of the Offenhauser brand. Yeah, made fantastic intake manifolds, uh, gauges, rocker covers. Yep, absolutely. Oh, there you go. You live and learn. Live and learn. Mate, thanks for all your help. Time to pull the pin. Have a good one. Mate, take care, look after, and uh, safe travels to all the listeners. See you in the suit.
the Road News is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. Our featured Aussie music artist this week is making an impact with every song she writes, and this is reflected in her chart results with every song she's released to date successfully hitting within the top 10 on the country iTunes charts, including her debut EP, which went to number one. A country artist who truly lives and breathes it, she was raised on a beef cattle property and continues to live on the land to this day, believing it's a fundamental part of staying genuine to who she is. She's performed alongside established artists like Gina Jeffries, has opened shows for Shannon Knoll and the Black Sorrows, and continually blows audiences away with her incredible stage presence, poetic songwriting and hauntingly beautiful voice. With a bold air of nothing to lose, she's blazing her own remarkably successful trail with her unforgettable authentic western flair, leaving a lasting impression everywhere she goes. I caught up with her for a chat earlier this week, and here she is, the delightful Katie Brook. Good morning, Katie. Thanks for joining us on the road this week. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Now, as a country artist, you can't get much more authentic than being born and bred on a cattle property. Whereabouts is the property you grew up on, Katie? So I come from a tiny little town called Mulgum, so 10 points for anyone who knows where that is, but it's a little town in northern New South Wales. Okay. How far out from, say, Sydney? Yeah, so oh, fair way. So Sydney's fairly much south. We're probably closer to Brisbane. We're only about three hours south of Brisbane. Oh, good. Yeah, most people know Lismore. So Lismore is about 45 minutes towards the coast east. Oh, lovely. Yeah. That's beautiful out that way. It's a good spot. It's really nice. And it's still quite close to everything, even though it's very rural. Unlike so many other artists who originally come from the bush but relocate to the city when their career starts to hot up, you've chosen to keep living on the land. Why is that? Yeah, I know. Such a great question because I do like to talk about it. I feel like I'm a bit of a fish out of water sometimes. <laughs> I did relocate to Tamworth in my 20s for four years and I know Tamworth's not massive either, but I uh, did a lot of touring out there and I loved touring out west. And um, I decided at the end of it, I just wanted to come home because it was the most inspiring place for me to be anyway. And I feel like it has kind of reflected in the songs that I've created. Right. My whole last album was all written just by me solo on the farm during COVID, most of it. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like, and even in this new song, you can really hear elements of the land talking about earth and dust and fire and all of that. And it's just something that I could probably achieve in the city because I've lived it enough, but I feel like just being immersed in it all the time really makes a difference. And I just don't want to live in the city. I love the country so much. No, I'm hearing you. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that far for me to, you know, head up to Brisbane or Gold Coast or wherever if I need to. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, the old COVID thing, from a songwriter's point of view, I mean, it was, it was a terrible time for all of us. Yeah. But from a, a songwriter's point of view, there was a lot of creative stuff going down in that time, wasn't there? Oh, definitely. We, you know, we had so much time, we couldn't really do anything else. So I was touring a lot before that, doing a lot of cover gigs. Yeah. And I just felt a little bit burnt out as well. Like I felt 
really sick of doing cover songs. I really wanted to start emerging as an artist as much as I could. So it was terrible, but it did give me the chance to finally step out as my own artist. Oh, yeah. So COVID was a bit of a shot in the arm for you, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Katie, we're going to have a listen to your new single, Too Far Down, shortly. And what a great song. Thank you. But before we do, can you tell us a bit about the song? I believe it was a pretty spontaneous write for you. It was, and I find it really hard now that it's out, it came out Friday and I'm answering all these questions about it and people are wanting to know where it came from. And really, I just wrote the words and it was sitting in front of me and I thought, what is this about? But I kind of, you know, started to work on it a little bit more with the melody and I went, you know, I'm writing about standing in your power and staying authentic to who you are. I know it's really tempting to do what other people are doing to get there fast kind of thing. Yeah. The slow grind and staying really authentic to yourself and standing in your power that way is really important and I guess that reflects who I am as an artist as well. Yeah, fair call. And the song was recorded in Tamworth too. You can't get much more authentic than that. Yeah, that's right. My producer, he's amazing, Rusty Crook. People probably see him out touring. He tours with Catherine Britt and the Sunny Cowgirls and a few other great artists. Yeah. He plays nearly every instrument but he's also great as a producer and that's what a lot of people don't realise yet. He's very underrated in that way. And he has a little home studio out at Temworth and we've done a lot of my tracks there. He does such a great job. He loves traditional country music. He brings that bluegrass element into it as well, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, he's certainly pulling good quality sound out of it, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And speaking of Tamworth, you've got some shows already lined up for the festival coming up in January, I believe. I do. I'm playing The Welder's Dog cool, and The Press Basement Bar and all the details are on my website at Kbrook Music. Yeah, I can't wait to get out there. I mean, I'm not looking forward to the heat, but (laughs) that's the only downside. Yeah. Any other shows happening before then? Yes, I'm heading up to Townsville. It's the furthest north I've ever been, actually, (laughs) heading up to Townsville to play Black Wild Country Barn Sessions for New Year's. So that's going to be a really amazing show. If anyone's up around that area for New Year's, come and hang out with us. There's a great lineup, Zach and George, Bella McKenzie, a lot of great artists and a lot of just fun activities to do as well. It's for the whole family. Oh, yeah. It's a great show and party time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great time to have it. You mentioned your website there before. Where can listeners go online to find out more about you and your wonderful music, Katie? Yeah, so just katiebrookmusic.com and that's got links to everywhere to all the streaming platforms. It's got my bio and it'll take you to Instagram as well, which is also just katiebrookmusic if you want to connect on there. Fantastic. Well, our guest this week has been the lovely Katie Brook. Katie, thanks for coming out to play on the road with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Time to have a listen to your new single. Would you like to introduce it for us, please? Yes, this is my new single, Too Far Down. Thank you so much for listening and thanks for having me, Andy. Absolute pleasure. Take care.
There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Hi there. This week I'm going to follow on with a little bit more detail uh, behind uh, my story last week about the decriminalisation of uh, illicit drugs for personal use in the ACT. You may well ask yourself, uh, what's this got to do with trucking? Well, uh, I'll probably just explain that right at the end when you've had time to think about it. An author and uh, journalist by the name of Connor Woodman has exposed uh, quite a bit about the illicit drug trade and where they actually come from in both a book he's written and uh, a report on it in um, the weekend, the media this weekend. The headline of the article relating to the book says, quote, Deep in the jungle, the source of Australia's meth scourge, unquote. Quote, the situation with meth is dire. More than nine tonnes of it were consumed in Australia in 2022. Connor Woodman travels to Ground Zero, an Asian narco state, to see the drugs that will soon be for sale in the streets of Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Well, obviously, they would also be for sale in Adelaide, Perth, Darwin and any, any other major city or drug centre you could think of in the country because uh, nine tonnes is a lot of ice. He goes on in the uh, article and in the book to describe how he's blindfolded and taken into the jungle to view a meth lab. He doesn't quite get there, but he's provided with a video of everything that happens. It's just incredible, uh, the sort of lengths he had to go to and the, the difficulties he faced getting there. But anyway, he, uh, he found out that... Uh, the drug trade where he was going to this jungle in Myanmar, or Burma as it used to be known, is uh, a lot to do with two states in that country that have been at war and part of a civil war that's been raging for 60 years. One particular of those states is financing its war effort with the manufacture and sale of illicit drugs. They provided him with a um, video and he asked the fellow how much, he, there was a picture of a machine, and he said, how much can this one produce? The man explains that the machine works to order. A typical order from a customer is between 50 and 200 kilograms of meth. The machine can run 24-7 for a week or two to produce the required quantity of the drug. Each kilogram is carefully weighed and packaged for export in a green tea package. The man says that he doesn't know how it reaches Australia, only that he sends it to a place outside Tachalik from where it is smuggled over the border into Laos. The remainder of the video focuses on a pile of finished product, maybe 100 kilograms. It's more meth than I've ever seen in one place, says Woodman. It seems bizarre to me that a kilometre or so from where we are now, in a corner of a cave, in a dirt-poor corner of a war-torn jungle, there is a pile of drugs that would be worth more than $100 million in Sydney. In Australia, the situation with meth, also known as ice, is dire. 
Use of the drug, which dipped briefly during the COVID pandemic, has risen again to pre-pandemic levels. More than nine tonnes of it, as he said before, were consumed in Australia in 2022. And here's the, the, the nasty bits. 500 people died from taking meth and another 12,400 people were hospitalised. This is in 2022, obviously. Just when the need for rehabilitation was never been, has never been higher, the country's ability to provide it is at breaking point. Waiting lists are so long that addiction centres are turning away new applications. St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, one of the nation's leading drug rehabilitation centres, has a waiting list of more than 100 people. Now, how much stupidity do we have to live with to see, you know, to know these things and to know that we have a, a, a group of people in Canberra who just don't get it? Before I go on to say about uh, how this affects Texas in trucking, which maybe some of you are already sort of coming to grips with, the uh, other issue is that Canberra seems to be going down the, um, the same path as the state of California in the US. And they have progressive governments that, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, think that they're doing a wonderful thing by uh, liberalising stuff, decriminalising the personal use of heavy drugs. And in California, they decriminalise shoplifting up to a certain degree. And in that case, they've created a total minefield of, of you know, virtually you just can't be prosecuted for shoplifting anymore and the businesses and the police and everyone else are suffering from the harm caused and uh, the uh, Australian Border Force uh, predicted to the ACT government before they even decriminalised the drugs that there would be problems along the similar lines in Canberra and it appears to be what's happening. So it says here Canberra is a long way short of the problems of California. The Californians didn't see the progressive decline coming and are now choosing to move away to places they can afford to live in securely. Well, surely that's uh, that sort of a possibility is not far away for people living in the ACT who aren't into drugs. The other issue is, despite uh, the things I had to say, which maybe some people thought I was taking a bit lightly last week about how uh, drug-affected bureaucrats or whoever else might be uh, not making very wise decisions... Let's take that a little bit further. I've thought for years that it's probably discriminatory that uh, random drug testing doesn't happen in our in our country's courts, whether state, federal or local or otherwise. Doesn't happen in public service offices. Doesn't happen in parliament houses. Doesn't happen in the police force, as far as I know, unless people are caught out. You know, and one piece of discrimination is where there's an accident involving a heavy vehicle, whether in the right or the wrong, the truck driver's taken away for... Uh, drug and alcohol testing at the nearest hospital and uh, the, the motorist involved, if they're not dead already, usually aren't, unless there's any reason to suspect that they might be affected. How many of the unexplained accidents that happen on our roads, whether they be suicides or appear to be suicides or just, you know, even the, the dangerous overtaking that I was talking about last week on the Flinders Highway and other highways right around the country, how many of these things could be explained by drivers being drug-affected without ever being detected? It's about time we really clamped down on the drug-taking, the, the, the decriminalisation of drug-taking, and held our politicians, our bureaucrats, our judges, our legal profession, because that's another place I don't think they do random drug-testing, solicitors and barristers' offices. It's about time we did a bit of, inclusive, uh, a bit of inclusion here, so that, uh, and I hate the term level playing field, but I do, do like to, things to be fair. And at the moment, they're not fair. And only are they not fair. They're bloody scary out there. 
And as I said last week, social media aren't having a lot to say about it, but at least the uh, the mainstream media got a bit involved this week with those two stories and a couple more that you can track down if you uh, if you look through the uh, the news feed. Something to talk about, something to think about. But uh, whether we like it or not, it can affect us badly, and uh, we need to uh, we just need to see better for the sake of all of us, especially our families and those who are waiting at home for us to come home safely and in, in a reasonable mental state because that's the other thing. When things get too scary, we get wound up and that's when trouble starts. Take care, stay safe, catch you next time. Thank you for listening. This is Bob McMillan. Gotcha go. Mate, we're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. We'd want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. It's not that hard to wait until it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Taking us out of the show this week, it's our wonderful music guest Katie Brook with Dreamer's Tired Mind. And the wind
On the Road is brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Until next week, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 